Well, happy Easter again. And, you know, I think it's important to, to note today that sometimes the things that are most simple are most meaningful. And maybe you've had that experience in your life. I remember when Sarah and I, when we were first married, we lived in this junky little apartment in Bowling Green. And I remember moving stuff in and having friends and family help us. And somebody made the comment when we were moving stuff in right before we got married. They said, you're going to look back on this place and this year with such fond memories for how simple it is. And, and that statement has really been true. You know, as we still drive around Bowling Green, anytime we see that junky little old apartment, we, we have these memories well up with inside of us of how cool that first year was. And of course, it's not because of that place. We didn't even really like that place that much, but it's because of the, the memories that we made there, our, our first Christmas together, our first Easter together as a married couple, and just the simplicity of life during that time. And, and really our hope and our prayer for all of us today is that we can look back on Easter 2020 as one that was extremely simple, gathered together in our homes, but one that was very meaningful as well. You know, Easter, it's usually a time for those of us who, who go to church and who lead churches to, to put our best foot forward, you know. Oftentimes as church leaders, we, we encourage you to invite your family and friends and neighbors and, and co-workers. And in our churches, they, they put a lot of extra work into the programming and into outreach events for Easter. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I long for those days to, to be back at some point. But, but this year, maybe like never before, Easter has been much more similar to the very first Easter. You know, and, and this Easter is so simple. It's simple in ways that just a generation ago we couldn't have even imagined. And yet here we are in our homes celebrating Easter and we're scattered, but we're scattered together. And it kind of reminds me of the early church, you know. The early church probably gathered together in their homes to hear that Easter story. They most likely gathered together in their homes to, to be protected from an outside threat. And as they gathered, they were probably gathering with faith, but they're also probably gathering with fear, two emotions that maybe many of us have today as we're gathered together. But nonetheless, they were there in their homes listening to the story of their risen Messiah. And, and really, that's what we're here to do together today. You know, in some ways, we have very little in common with those early followers of Jesus. You know, of course, they didn't have the technological advances that we do nowadays. They didn't have the opportunity to, to worship in the, the comfort of their home and the safety the way that many of us do. And yet, in other ways, this Easter, we've never had more in common with the early church. And many things in our world have changed in the past 2,000 years from that very first Easter and those first Christians that gathered together to hear the Easter story. But one thing has remained the same, and his name is Jesus. Jesus and his resurrection quite literally changed the world. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so today we gather together on Easter to worship him. We gather to celebrate him. You know, we celebrate on Easter the fact that the grave could not hold Jesus down. And just as the grave couldn't contain Jesus's body, the, the church, it, God's people, it can't be contained to a building. It can't be contained to pews. It, it, it's something that's growing and expanding and happening no matter what. And so we're so glad that you're here today. You know, I just want to share the, the simple Easter story, the simple 
resurrection story today. If you were with us on Good Friday, we read uh, the, the description of Jesus' death out of the book of John, one of the, the books that records much of Jesus' life. And so we're going to read the resurrection account out of the book of John today as well. And if you want to open your Bibles, you can also read along. We'll have words that, that come up uh, on this screen. But we're going to be in John chapter 20 as we're reading about the, the resurrection of Jesus and listening to that first account of him rising from the dead. So John chapter 20, if you want to read along with me, it says this. It says, early on, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved. And they said, they've taken the Lord out of our tomb. We don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started off for the tomb. Both of them were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I always think that's funny. Just a quick side note, you know, to find the hidden humor in scriptures. John is writing this. He's referring to himself when he talks about the, the other disciple. And he says that they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I picture John and Peter up in heaven right now. And John being like, do you see how I recorded that in the pages of scripture? So it'll never be lost that I outran you to the tomb. You know, good friends kind of going back and forth a little bit. John makes sure that we know that he was faster than Peter. He beat him to the tomb first. And in verse 5, it says this. It says, he, he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him. Again, he was last. He came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen there, lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in inside and he saw and he believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You know, I want to stop right there because that last verse in verse 9, it says something pretty profound. And one of the things I love about this first account uh, of the, the resurrection story of that very first Easter. It is so relatable and it is so real. And in verse 9 it says, they still didn't understand. They still didn't understand from Scripture. Even though Jesus, they had spent so much time with Jesus, uh, they had spent three years just following him around and listening to his teaching, and he had told them that he was going to rise from the dead. But as they show up to this empty tomb, it says that they still didn't understand that he had risen from the dead. And I think uh, as we hear this account, you know, these disciples, they've never been more relatable because I know as a pastor from talking to so many of us, one of the biggest things that we oftentimes say about God is, I just don't understand. I don't understand why, why God's doing this. I just don't understand why I'm going through this situation. I just don't understand why this relationship has had to end. I just don't understand why I've lost my job. I just don't understand why I've lost somebody close to me. I don't understand this trial that's gone on in my life. Those words I just don't understand are very relatable words to so many of us. And the disciples themselves, Jesus' closest friends and followers, felt that exact same way. And yet they couldn't even imagine the future of what they were going to experience of actually seeing Jesus risen from the dead. And, and here's what I want to say and what I want all of us to remember this Easter Sunday that I think is so extremely important. If God were small enough for us to understand, he would not be big enough for us to worship. 
Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if God is truly God, he is so big that of course we're not going to completely understand his plan and everything that goes on in our life and our world. If God were small enough for us to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. So thank God that we don't always understand him because it allows us to have reverence for how amazing he is and how much he deserves our worship. Let's jump back into to verse 11. It says this, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over, and she looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this she turned around and, Je- and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him, and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, this tender moment of just pure joy. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said and the things he had said to her. No, I think that I want to stop there because it's extremely important that we recognize the fact that who Jesus appeared to first means so much and tells us so much about the character of God. Because Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene and these other women. And and that's significant for a number of different reasons. First, it helps us to realize that the resurrection account was true because sadly in those times, women weren't treated equal as men. And so their testimony in a court of law would not hold up. It wasn't even counted legitimate. And so if you were going to make up a story about a resurrected king, you wouldn't make up a story and, and say that the first people to be witnesses of his resurrection were these women. But Mary Magdalene is especially interesting. That Jesus chose to appear to her first because Mary Magdalene had a pretty checkered past. If you look back in the pages of Scripture, back in the beginning of the Gospels, Mary Magdalene was somebody who was actually possessed by demons. She was crazy. She wasn't all there. And yet Jesus came to her and he healed her and she became one of his closest followers. And I think that, that John, through the pages of Scripture, is telling us, as Jesus appeared to Mary, that, that listen, God can use anyone. The, the significance of her is pretty powerful because we oftentimes, just thinking in our human nature, would not have assumed that Jesus would appear to her. But instead, he does so that we know that every single one of us has value to God that nobody has too much of a checkered past. Nobody has committed too many things that are, that are out there and have committed too many sins that they can't recover from that God doesn't want to use them. See, Jesus loved and used Mary Magdalene in a way that is recorded for the pages of history in a way to show us that every single one of us is loved by God. No one is beyond the grips of God's grace, no matter what they've done or no matter what they've been through. Let's jump back into the the pages of, of John chapter 20 and jump down to verse 24 with me because there's another character that, that Jesus interacts with after his resurrection. In verse 24 of John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is like, Listen, I got to see it to believe it. I want to make sure that I see Jesus for myself. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Affirming that Jesus is in fact God. Jesus didn't correct him after Thomas called him God. It says, Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you believed. And blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. You know, we talked about Mary and her checkered past, but I think another group of us can relate to Thomas, maybe even more. You know, Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas because he had questions. And I wonder for those of us who are watching all over right now on this Easter Sunday, if you've ever doubted. I wonder if, if many of us, if we have questions here, if we've doubted whether this resurrection story is real or not. And I just want to tell you, if you're in that position here today, you're not alone. Jesus' closest friends, Jesus' closest followers, they had doubts and they had questions too. And so uh, the presence of doubt or questions in our life doesn't mean that we can't be followers of Jesus. It simply means there's something that we have to press into so that we can know him more. The disciples of Jesus can relate to those of us who ask questions and who even doubt. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And so Jesus appeared to him physically and he overcame those doubts. And he said, now listen, Thomas, I want you to stop doubting and believe. And so each one of us has to answer that question. It is the evidence that, that is presented in the pages of Scripture, is the evidence that God lays on our heart, is the evidence that we see all around us in the world for the existence of God. Is it enough for us to stop doubting and believe and trusting in Jesus? And did you catch what Jesus says at the end of that? He says to Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Jesus knew that there would be a group of us that would come that, that wouldn't see his physical body that had been resurrected, but would get to experience the power of God within the existence of our world. And he said, blessed are those people, us, who, who haven't actually seen the physically raised Jesus, but, but get to believe in him by the power of faith. And, and, you know, I think that it's so important for us on this Easter Sunday to realize that the resurrection of Jesus is not just historical facts. We, of course, believe that it is a historical fact, but it's not just a historical fact that we should take note of. The resurrection of Jesus is something that Jesus actually invites us into to partake in. It's something that we get to experience. Uh, the author of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he says it like this in, in Romans chapter 8. Verse, verse 11, he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. In other words, that very same spirit, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, he now lives inside of those of us who believe. And so the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available and living inside of us who believe. 
That is an amazing truth to behold. It's not just a fact to know. It's a reality that we get to live. And this very practically means that those of us who know Jesus, we can always have hope. We can always have hope no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Nothing or no one is too far gone for God. Where there's life, there's hope because the Holy Spirit can breathe life into it just like he breathed life into Jesus. So no relationship is too broken for God to heal. No hardship is too big for God to redeem. No sin is too strong for God to break us free from. No trial is too big for God to use in our lives. We have hope knowing that the Spirit of God lives inside of us, the same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead. And not only does the, the resurrection mean that, that we have the, the power to, to live by the Spirit and have the hope as we walk in this world, but it also means that God is always near us. You know, the, the tomb, it couldn't contain Jesus. He rose from the dead, and now God is Spirit, and He released the Holy Spirit to live inside of the lives of those believers, and it means that God is with us. You know, I was just thinking about different examples and different analogies and ways to think about the reality that, that God is with us. And, and sometimes we, we struggle to really believe that. I was thinking about parenting, and, and parenting usually has some pretty good application for our, for our walk with God. And, and I was thinking about this reality that many of us parents use of sending your kids to the room or sending your kids to timeout. Maybe that was a, a parenting technique that your parents use, or maybe if you're a parent yourself, you still use that today. I, I know here at the, the Wiles uh, Family School uh, this past month in the Wiles uh, household, we have used that, that technique a number of different times, not to, not to uh, call my kids out, but a couple different times we've had to say, hey, we all just need to kind of go to our rooms. We need to get some space. We need to be separated for a little while. Maybe we're getting on each other's nerves a little bit. And so the point of sending people to our rooms is saying we're, we're, we're kind of driving each other crazy, so we need to get away from each other for a little while. And while that's probably a pretty good parenting technique, it's something that works oftentimes as you're trying to, to kind of shepherd and, and instill values into your kids, Sadly, some of us, we think that's how God still views us. Some of us, we, we kind of think that when we mess up, it's like God's like, I need to get away from you. Hey, why don't you go to your room and get away from me for a little while? Let's have a little bit of space. Let's separate from each other because I'm disappointed in you or you're not doing enough or you're making up mistakes or you're annoying me. Some people feel like that's how God views them. But listen, God is a loving, perfect father who never wants to be separated from us. He doesn't need space from us. He always wants to draw near to us. And in Romans chapter 8, just a little bit further down from the section that was described about how the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us, in Romans 8.35, it says this. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then Paul says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, because of the resurrection, we know that nothing can separate us from Jesus when we put our faith and trust in Him, not even death itself. The song that we sang earlier, the, the scripture that we claim to, death 
Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We can only say those words because of the resurrection. You know, death is something that if you've been watching the news lately in our nation and in our world, it's something that we've probably seen a lot about, something that we've heard a lot about and might even be something that's on many of our minds. You know, and here's the reality. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we would have to consider death to be the end. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we'd have to consider the grave is the final chapter and the end of everything. But with the resurrection, because of the power of the fact that Jesus defeated death, he put death to death. And now death isn't the end because he rose from the grave and defeated death. And Jesus invites each and every one of us into that victory. See, Jesus can give us new life, both here in this world and in this life and for eternity. We can access that resurrection power that Jesus experienced by putting our faith and trust in him. And that's why Easter is such a celebration. And so if you've never done that before, this Easter, maybe 2020, with all that's going on in our world, is an opportunity for you to do that. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I I recognize that I've sinned. I recognize that I've fallen short and that my sins have separated me from you and there's nothing that I can do on my own to resurrect myself. I need to claim you and your power, the resurrection over death and sin, so that I can live forever, so I can experience abundant life in this life and I can experience eternal life even in death. If you pray a prayer to Jesus and invite him into your heart and say, I want to repent and turn from my sins, you can experience this Easter the resurrection power that Jesus himself made available for each and every one of us. And if you're a believer today, as you're celebrating in probably much different form, our hope and our prayer is that you would experience that victory that God has for you, that you would have hope in every element of your life. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a few more songs, and we're going to continue on with our Easter celebration. If you want to bow your heads and pray with me, that'd be great. God, as we think about what you went through for us, we're humbled. We're humbled to know the power that you have to defeat sin and death. And God, even as we're, we're here today in our homes, gathered and scattered all around the world, God, we, we, we cry out to you and we confess that, that we need you. God, as we look at our world, sometimes we don't see or experience that much hope. And yet, because of your resurrection, Lord, we can be a people of hope. And God, as we look deep within our own hearts, we question what can we do in our own strength. And yet, because of your resurrection, you say that we can have eternal life when we put our faith and trust in you. And so, God, we thank you for defeating the grave. And we thank you for inviting us into the power that you have. God, we ask that each and every one of us would come to recognize you for who you truly are, that we would worship you and that we would praise you this Easter for being the God who defeated death and rose from the grave. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.